From ancient times, the Liturgy of the Hours has served as the public and communal prayer of God's people. It has been called the Vox Sponsae, the voice of a bride, addressed to her bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his church, offers to the Father for the glory of God and the salvation of the world. All right, we are back with uh, Vogue Sponsae. I think we're on episode nine. And uh, I am joined, thankfully, this week by Gabriel in Seattle after uh, he and his wife had their third child, Abigail Ann. Gabriel, how are you guys doing? Hey, uh, well, first, congratulations. I'm back. So prepare yourself. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're doing... We have like a 10 day old baby. So um, we're doing, I don't know how we're doing. I think, <laughs> I think I'm probably doing a bit better than Kristen. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to admit it that I'm, I'm sleeping kind of well. <laughs> sleeping is as great. Like, to be honest, I, you know, like middle of the night, there's only, there's not a lot of feeding I can do of the baby. Right. <laughs> So I'm like, well, I'm just not needed. So I might as well keep my earplugs in and sleep. Keep, <laughs> oh, the, bed, keep the bed warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, got the, I got the twin boys during the day. So it's like, I really right. need my Good. To care for them. So yeah, we're doing, we're doing well. Everybody's healthy. That's great. Um, so, yep. Well, praise God. We definitely, uh, well, I missed you last week. Uh, it was a lot different doing the podcast by myself. Um, I think it was good. I mean, I, you know, we covered... Uh, chapter or paragraph seven in the general instructions, or I guess it was six and seven really uh, talked about uh, how the church continues the prayer of Christ. So, you know, God sent uh, his son into the world, you know, uh, his son, the word was made flesh, dwelt among us and assumed uh, what we are in order to give us what, what is his. And when he does that, you know, he assumes not only our human nature, but he also uh, took up our prayers and took up the prayers even which he planted in history through uh, through the life of Israel, through the prophets, uh, primarily through David and the Psalms. And as he took those prayers up and made them his own, you know, he you know made of them, uh, you know, or, or sanctified them, purified them, and gave them to us you know, as a, as an offering that we can, we can give to God and a way by which we, our prayers can be united with his. And so, you know, really discussed how, when we pray the liturgy of the hours, when we take up the Psalms in prayer, how we are not only, you know, offering these words that, you know, perhaps we can identify with sometimes, sometimes not so much, uh, but that we're actually joining in the prayer of Christ and yeah. that we're united to his prayer that he now ceaselessly offers from the right hand of the father in heaven. And, um, and not only that, but how, you know, as the church uh, offers this prayer together, that we are joined to one another. And this is together an offering of the head with his body uh, in, and really brought about by the Holy spirit, which, you know, really takes us to where we're at today. Uh, this next paragraph uh, I think helps to answer that question is, you know, how is this made possible? You know, if, if the prayer of the church is really the prayer of Christ that he shares with his body and that we are able to uh, now enter into 
the prayer of our Lord, and that that prayer is now the one prayer of Christ with his body, how is that made possible? How is that a source of union and fellowship and, and communion with, with God and uh, with all the members of the church? And so I think it's natural that, you know, we now come to paragraph eight. And what is paragraph eight on? It's, it's on the action of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit serves to bring this about. Yeah, there's this, um, there's this I, I think, is a really helpful flow in the teaching of the general instructions here. Like if when I get into the nitty gritty details of the instructions, sometimes I feel like I get, I'm not entirely sure of, of what the instructions are trying to say, like, cause there's so many details, right? Mm-hmm. How does this one sentence connect to the next sentence? But when mm-hmm. I back up and I look at, I look at the, um, the whole, in the movement, like I, I see the instructions, you know, as we've been going through these chapters, when it start when when it starts to talk about the person of Jesus, the historical Jesus of Nazareth, it's saying it's like okay, if we want to understand prayer, let's look at Jesus's prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's great these sections you went through like the it is such an excellent catechesis of to answer the question of what is prayer? How do I pray? Mm-hmm. And, and it's saying, well, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at how he prayed because he's, he's our example exemplar. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and I loved, you know, kind of going back to as, as you were talking there, um, the chapter four of the instructions there emphasizes how like, up to the very end of his life, right? Um, he he lived a life of prayer through the agony, through the cross. Like it, the instruction says that the divine teacher showed that prayer was the soul of his messianic ministry and Pascal right. death. So, like prayer was the very life breath of his entire ministry. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and as the instructions continue, it like opens it up. It's like, okay, well, what was his prayer and who was his prayer to? And so we move, we move from who is Jesus of Nazareth as a historical human being? How did he live his life? Mm-hmm. And then it moves into, okay, well, we have to understand Jesus, the son of God in relationship to the father, to the mm-hmm. God through whom, to whom he prayed. And then it brings in his relationship with the Holy Spirit of, of being Christ, the anointed one, the one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so the instructions are like starting with the person of Jesus and then moving into the Trinitarian nature of of God, of Jesus, the word made flesh. Hmm. And then the third step is from the person of Jesus of Nazareth to the person, the son of God in relationship to the father and the Holy Spirit. Now, the whole church brought mm-hmm. into by virtue of the regeneration of baptism brought into this very life of the father, son, and Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, what does it look like for the prayer of the whole church brought into this Trinitarian life of God? Um, that is now the continued prayer of the son to the father. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, man, that's really good. Yeah. I just came up with that right now. 
That is. Aren't I, aren't I creative and smart? <laughs> I think we could just stop there. <laughs> I'm just honestly. kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. yeah. but, so, anyway. but I think, I think this, you know, where it starts, you know, in that, in that one paragraph where, you know, it talks about, you know, we, we have this command to pray yes. and in paragraph uh, three and four, it starts to lay out all these examples of when Jesus prayed and even how Jesus prayed and kind of, you know, lays out that Christ is an exemplar. He's, he's, uh, he's someone that we are called to imitate, but it doesn't stop there. And I think that's the, the beautiful thing about the instructions is where it's taking us is that it's saying, you know, we are called to imitate Christ. What did Christ do? Well, his whole life in ministry was oriented around prayer. Actually, you know, as you stated, the soul of his life in ministry was prayer, was his communion with the Father. And so not only are we led to kind of look at how Jesus prayed and when Jesus prayed as the one that we're called to imitate, but now we're asking the question, how do we join in his prayer? Mm-hmm. Not just uh, imitating him as a model, as a good teacher, but actually joining in his prayer as an intercessor and as our Lord who stand, who, who intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father and who invites us to join into his relationship, to into his sonship that he shares uh, with his heavenly Father. And so... Right. I think that's, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is when Jesus said, you know, I will send you the spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you the spirit and the spirit will guide you into all truth. And I think in part, what is, what is meant there is that Christ is going to send his spirit so that his, that he might form his church and that his church might be able to share in that ongoing and eternal relationship that he has with the father. And we're, yeah. we're talking about that in the context of prayer. Right. That the liturgical prayer of the church is the means by which we can participate, we participate in his prayer. So mm-hmm. he, not only does he command us to pray, but he gives us the means whereby we can pray. Yes. You know, and so though, because Jesus is the one mediator of the father mm-hmm. and, and we have to enter to through Christ to the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who reveals him, mm-hmm. speaks of him, so that we can be obedient, right? And so, mm-hmm. which is so beautiful, it's like, he's like, not only does he command us to do it, not out of a, like a, a military dictatorship, but out of a, a command of love. Like it's a command because it's for our good. Mm-hmm. Because he is our good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, some might ask or perhaps say, uh, I mean, that's a nice thought, right? Like that uh, he's given us the means by which we are to share in his prayer. But what does that, what does that look like? How do I, how do I actually do that? You know, knowing in my own life, you know, how hard it is to pray. You know, there's even, you know, when you get to the section of the catechism on prayer, you know, there's the one chapter that says the battle of prayer. There's a reason why, you know, we talk about the prayer of of the Christian prayer as a battle. It's a battle because it's very difficult. It's very difficult. It's actually the means by which, or actually when we begin to pray, we recognize that we are actually not very good at it. And uh, it can be, there's a lot of obstacles and a lot of those obstacles lie within us. And we have to, we have to learn to kind of conquer kind of the rugged places in our, in our hearts in order to 
to go deeper in communion with, with the Lord. And so if that is the case, you know, okay, I want to share in the prayer of Christ. He's given me the Holy Spirit. I've been anointed with the Spirit at baptism, strengthened in communion, you know, an ongoing relationship uh, with Christ and, you know, through the sacraments of the church. But how do I, how do I come to share in Christ's prayer tangibly now? And I think that's where we get to the point of saying, of saying, you know, the Holy Spirit, just as with the sacraments, you know, right now we're all kind of suffering through the situation where none of us can get to mass and we're praying acts of spiritual communion. And on one hand, you know, as many of the saints and popes who have said, you know, Hey, this is a real thing. Like pray the act of spiritual communion with a good intention. And, you know, there's a a real communion that can, can happen there uh, with the Lord. As much as you believe that or try to believe that, you know, on Sundays, when you pray that prayer, if you're anything like me, I mean, you're like, I long for the Eucharist, you know, so the Holy Spirit is always taking and he's, he's always bringing about the sacramental means by which we can be joined to Christ. And that all always takes on some kind of physical form, you know, so yeah. whether it's, you know, bread and wine, water, oil, etc. So right. in prayer, what is the physical form? Yeah. And it's, I think the physical form is is very important, but I think more important than the physical form is the relational dynamic. Hmm. So a spiritual communion is 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 an extraordinary grace, but for them unless you're doing a spiritual communion with your family, it's kind of like an individual private practice hmm. where because out of God's goodness and since because of this extraordinary circumstance, I can't go to mass um i can receive from the mass uh through prayer mm-hmm. but uh and, and maybe this isn't for everyone but at least for me um well the church is a community the church we're not we're not individualists the church by its very name ecclesia uh the mm-hmm. called out people ecclesia um it's it's essentially a community and and a spirit act of spiritual communion is a private act. Mm-hmm. But, and so not just the physical aspect, but the physical aspect and maybe that's a better way of, of both the relational dynamic of gathering with the people to worship together as a whole community. Because we're created in the image of relational God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no such God who is not a dynamic relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? We're, we are... Um, trinitarian one god in three persons not just you know yeah. one one th- you know what i'm saying there anytime you start talking about god it's, it's like i'm always <laughs> trying, um, trying not to stumble into the flames <laughs> no you're right we're tri- we're trinitarian it, you know essentially god is a communion of persons and we have been created in his image and likeness to not only to come to share in that relationship between the father and the son and the holy spirit but we are by very, you know, essence, uh, as created beings in the image and likeness of God created for communion of persons. You know, I think this gets into, you know, okay, how, what is, how it, when we talk about prayer and if we can start from a place of that prayer is communion and that prayer brings about communion, both with God, but then also with others, because 
you know, prayer is not something that just private and individual, like prayer is something that unites us together because we are one body under our head, Jesus Christ. And together we are being brought into and being made partakers of Jesus and his relationship with the father. And so how is that made possible? Through the Holy Spirit. So why don't I um, read this paragraph for us? And then we can just kind of talk a, a little bit about the nature of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works within prayer to bring us into communion, both with God and with others. Yeah. Are we all right? yeah. Before you go there. Yeah. Yeah. Before you go there, I want to comment one thing sure. um, just to kind of draw out, because I, I think we 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 can have a tendency to poo-poo on um, private prayer mm-hmm. and individualist prayer. And, and, and we don't want to, we don't want to, right. Uh, the inner, the instructions, uh, kind of the end of the sections we're talking about says though prayer in private and in seclusion is always necessary and mm. to be encouraged and is practiced by the members of the church through Christ and the Holy spirit. Mm. There is a special excellence in the prayer of the community. And I, and I think that's, we want to emphasize what we're trying to do here is emphasizing the special excellence mm. of the prayer of the community because it, it tends in our American culture to be overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah. And so we want to, I think, emphasize that while living in the tension of we need both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, paragraph eight states that the unity of the church at prayer is brought about by the Holy Spirit, who is the same in Christ, in the whole church, and in every baptized person. It is this Spirit who helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us with longings too deep for words, quoting St. Paul's letter to the Romans. As the Spirit of the Son, he gives us the spirit of adopted children by which we cry out, Abba, Father. There can be, therefore, no Christian prayer without the action of the Holy Spirit, who unites the whole church and leads it through the Son to the Father. Hmm. You said it quotes Romans? It does, yeah. Romans 8.26. Interesting. My translation quotes Rom. (laughs) It just says R-O-M. Actually, mine does, too. I took the liberties to... Oh, 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 I see... Okay. 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 That's an abbreviation. Okay. Cause it's the breviary. Yeah. Cause actually the next, um, in the next, in the next sentence, it quotes, uh, or it cites Rom eight fifteen, gal four, six and one core 12, three. Oh, it also, <laughs> F, F this is so stupid. <laughs> Don't cut it out. Okay. Anyway. Okay. The unity of the church at prayer. What about that? So I think, so we're talking about, you know, the unity of the church is brought about by the Holy Spirit. So if we're asking the question, you know, how is the Holy Spirit at work in all this? We, we've been led to see in the general instructions how Christ assumes our prayer in order to make us shares in his prayer. So he comes and he takes up our prayer. He takes up the Psalms. He takes up, you know, the prayer of, of Israel. and he he takes it upon himself. He makes it an offering of his own. You know, you think of the many times that Christ takes the Psalms upon his lips. He takes those yeah. up and he now has made us 
shares in that prayer that he now offers to the Father um, in his sacred humanity. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, we so we've been led to see how we can participate in the prayer of Christ as he offers it to the Father and thus share in that relationship between mm-hmm. Father and Son. But we're left to ask the question, how does that happen? And the general instructions here instructs us that it is by the work of the Holy Spirit. So it is the Holy Spirit that brings about this unity. It's the Holy Spirit which makes us sharers in Christ's own prayer and his relationship with the Father. Yeah, you know, the the paradox of this sentence blows me out of the water like Jim Carrey on a fishing trip with a hand grenade. <laughs> it just, the unity, so the unity of the church, like if, I, if I look at these, these things here. Um, we have the church, we have the Holy Spirit, we have Christ, we have every single baptized person, and it's emphasizing the unity of the church. Um, the unity, etymologically, um, comes from the Latin unitas, unis, uh, which means one, you know, and so mm-hmm. one is, is simple. So the oneness of the church at prayer is brought about by the Holy Spirit, who is the same in Christ. And it's something happening within every baptized person, hmm. which is not one, but a multiplicity of people. Yeah, right. And just the paradox of like what we're talking about here, like if we can just kind of pause on that. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So uh, this oneness of the church is brought about by God. Yeah, and it makes Go me ahead. think too, you know, when we pray you know, grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think this oh. this gets at, you know, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit function but to bring about the unity between the Father and the Son eternally? You know, the, eternally, the Holy Spirit is the unity, the love and the unity that's shared between the Father and the Son. And that the unity of the church is being brought about by that same spirit who eternally proceeds from the father and the son to bring, you know, that brings about that love and unity that's shared between the two of them. Continue with that. I um, I have a thought that's working in my, in my head here. Sure. So, you know, this whole, this whole paragraph, it speaks of the nature of, Trinitarian communion, how Christian prayer is a sharing in the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how this is brought about specifically by the action of the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, we see this certainly in how the church talks about prayer. The other place where we see this is in her liturgy, you know, that it's the Holy Spirit that is work that is at work in the liturgy that brings about the communion and fellowship that we share with the Father through the Son by the action and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so I think this is where, you know, almost you you start to see this coming together of prayer and liturgy, of course, you know, which we, we, you know, we find that in the Liturgy of the Hours, is that this present, this is the very means by which Christ makes us sharers in his prayer to the Father and it because it is essentially a prayer of communion, it is made manifest most perfectly when it is 
done in community. It is done with, with others, you know? So, uh, you know, you think of, you know, Jesus's mm-hmm. prayer, you know, Jesus's prayer in John 17 was that, you know, father, may they be one as we are one, I and them and you and me so that they may be one, you know? And so I think, you know, Jesus's prayer is that, that we may be one it, it, with, a, with the father and with Christ and that this oneness is brought right. about through prayer, but it's ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit that is bringing about this, this unity, this sharing in communion. When, what was your uh, thought? Yeah, as you're talking about this, have you, are you familiar with uh, the French school, uh, Pierre Berrou? It's kind of where this sacred heart of Jesus um, and this kind of devotion in a lot of ways comes from. And so I think he was a cardinal. I can't remember exactly when. I don't know, 1700s, 1800s, somewhere in there. Anyway, he has this amazing series of meditations on the unity of God. And uh, so he says this. He says, for love tends naturally to unity. Hmm. Okay? So um, I think perfect example here is marriage, right? right? That the love of the spouses naturally tends naturally towards the unifying act and um so naturally the love tends itself towards unity um and he says love tends naturally to unity and it is clear that a love that is supreme and divine should be unity itself Hmm. um and so then he goes on and it's just amazing so he talks about how the son is eternally begotten of the father and he uses the language of of uh, fecundity and fertility mm-hmm, so like there's mm-hmm. this eternal fecundity within the trinian trinitarian nature of god so the father eternally begets the son mm-hmm. um he's eternally fertile but the holy spirit within the nature of god does not produce another divine person so he he like he draws where is the fertility of God expressed, but in creation itself. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's incomprehensible to think that, you know, to mm. think about God actually, you know, desiring, you know, in his communion of persons that lacks absolutely nothing out of his total love desires to create and to bring something other than God into relationship. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's like right on what you're saying, like to bring something other than God into relationship as was that Christ may be all in all. Yeah. So like the, the, or, I mean, the Holy spirit, you know, when we get to the Holy spirit's work within creation is always ordered towards drawing, drawing all things into that eternal fellowship, right? That eternal fellowship, that eternal love that is shared, you know, in the, in the triune God. And so to bring it back to what we're talking about here in relationship to prayer is that what we're seeking in prayer is nothing less than a very real and actual participation and communion in God. But it is, you know, just like God is not a solitary being, you know, we are not solitary beings. And so the Holy Spirit simultaneously, while the Holy Spirit is bringing each and every individual human soul into contact 
with God and a sharing in the, in the love between the Father and the Son through a life of prayer. At the very same time, the Holy Spirit is simultaneously bringing about a communion of persons, mm-hmm. uh, the, the body that prays. And so the prayer becomes, the prayer itself, the prayer of the church becomes the, almost like the sacramental that the Holy Spirit uses to bring about that union. And so when we pray, when we join our voices, our hearts and our voices together in prayer, we actually physically and visibly get a glimpse of the unity that the Holy Spirit is bringing about in the body. And that is an image of what each and every one of us are able to do in uh, sharing individually and corporately in the relationship between the Father and the Son. Yeah. And sharing in the fellowship of the Trinity. Because the essence of God is unity. Um, Or, you know, we might say like from more of like a scholastic tradition, we would say simple. Mm -hmm. Um, That the essence of God is one, is unity, is Mm -hmm. oneness. And, but everything that is not God would therefore be disunited. It's not one. It's Mm. something other. Um, And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw that which is disunited into Mm -hmm. unity, into Mm -hmm. the oneness of God. Um, It makes me just, do you remember reading, um, which one of the apostolic fathers? was it, was it Ignatius of Antioch, maybe? Do you remember in his letters on the road to martyrdom? And, mm-hmm. I, and I mean, some of them, just yeah. How, yeah, just how like big of an issue it is. We even see this in the epistle, New Testament letters. Like, what's the biggest issue in the early church but the breaking of unity? Mm-hmm. Right. Right? That is a big, big deal mm-hmm. in the early church. And in the writings of the apostolic fathers. Yeah. Um, Because it's so, unity is so closely connected to the very essence of God and what God's mission is of bringing about the oneness Mm -hmm. of creation. Yeah. So that it can, that it can enter into and receive and participate in the love that eternally occurs within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you know what Ignatius says in one of the letters, I don't know if it's to the Romans or I want to say it's to the Romans, but you know, he says, he talks about the Bishop as being the image of the father. And, you know, for Ignatius as well as, I mean, the entire early church, I mean, seeing, you know, the, uh, the structure of the church, the hierarchy of the church and the way that it's composed and the way it's been ordained by Christ himself you know, is an image of that unity. It's an image of the the unity that is shared between God and his people and an image of the unity that's shared within God himself. And so it's really important for the early fathers to say, like, you know, don't celebrate the Eucharist outside of uh, communion with, with a, a bishop who's been ordained, you know, by the apostles mm-hmm. is because he is the image of the unity. He is the, he is the visible image of the unity of the church. The same thing with, you know, when we, when we talk about the liturgical prayer of the church, the mass, 
and the sacraments together with the divine office, you know, these things are all wrapped up in that same conversation in terms of how we physically and visibly can see the unity of the church made manifest. You know, that's the, that's the beauty when we go to mass, you know, and we all share in the, in the one bread when we, you know, though the bread has been gathered from many parts, you know, it's come into one. And now, you know, as we come forward and we receive, we receive Christ in the, in the Holy Eucharist, that we who are many are made one body in the same, in the same way, when the church joins together in her prayer, you know, hearts and voices are joined together. It manifests that unity and that fellowship in that communion. And all of this is made possible by the Holy Spirit. And so as we gather together to pray, to pray and to offer the Psalms, let's say, and we're praying this prayer, you know, it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that the Holy Spirit is bringing about that by virtue of praying this prayer and joining this prayer, that we're not only united to Christ as he offers this prayer to the Father, but we're united to our brothers and sisters and we're made one with, with each other as well. Yeah. And our prayers is so magnificent. I think sometimes we speak too arbitrarily uh, and kind of like lackadaisical about prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow, there's something actually really magnificent happening mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about tra- prayer, we're talking about like creation is happening in the work of prayer. Hmm. You know, and I, I think just practically speaking, anytime we're given liturgy, anytime we're, we're prescribed something to do, it can always become rote. It can always become routine. Yeah. It can always become something that we just we do unthinkingly. And I'm not even saying that every single time it needs to be some kind of ecstatic experience in prayer. But I think just practically speaking, you know, the next time you pick up the liturgy of the hours and you enter into this prayer, you know, to just pause for a moment, to pause for a moment and to give thanks for this great gift and to be mindful of, you know, what you're about to enter into. And uh, to realize that this is no small gift that Christ has left to, to his church. And, you know, even to pray the prayer of the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, you know, before we enter into this prayer, come Holy Spirit, bring, you know, take, take me, take my mind, take my, take my voice, take my heart, unite my prayer, unite this prayer that I offer to the prayer of all the saints and with Christ himself before the Father. You know, yeah. to, to take the time just to enter into that prayer in a prayerful way, to prepare yourself for entering something that is really, really is majestic um, and not, right. to, not to take it for granted. Two thoughts there. Uh, Catechism uh, 1768 says, strong feelings are not decisive for the morality or the holiness of persons. So... Hmm. What it's saying in the section on the passions is that, like, if I'm not experiencing like strong feelings about my prayer, that mm-hmm. is not a sign of like me having a lack of holiness. Right. Right. We talk about the dark night of the soul. If mm-hmm. anything, the movement of prayer takes us through a certain lack of feeling, a lack of emotion that we're mm-hmm. gonna that we go through that purifying process of a lack of strong feelings um, as we move deeper and deeper um, 
in and through mm-hmm. this process of prayer. Um, but yeah, and then at the same time is like new thoughts um, can be little sparks for prayer, mm-hmm. right? Or like new little acts of, of gratitude, like you're saying, can be a little spark for prayer. Like when I'm not feeling it, I can reflect on something different. Mm-hmm. Um, this new thing to like approach prayer a little bit differently. And it can be a little bit of a spark when, when the feelings aren't there. And the enjoyment of prayer is lacking. Yeah. Um, you know, so anyway, yeah, there's a, I'll, there. I'll include this. I'll include this in the notes on this podcast, but uh, one of the prayers that uh, is, is great to just pray before you uh, pray the office is open. O Lord, my mouth to bless your holy name, cleanse my heart from all vain, evil and wandering thoughts, enlighten my understanding and kindle my affections that I may worthily, attentively, and devoutly say this office, and so deserve to be heard before the presence of your divine majesty. And then you, and then the next prayer is, Lord, in union with that divine intention with which you praise God while you are on earth, I offer to you this hour. Something like this can just be a simple way of you know, just being reminded, you know, taking, you know, taking a moment to pause before you uh, say the office um, to pray this prayer and to ask the Lord to one, to prepare yourself, to prepare your heart, to enter into this great prayer, this communion, but then also to make an offering of this prayer in union with the intentions with which Christ himself offered this prayer while he was on earth. So I'll include it in the notes of the podcast. When I was, when I was in the army, we would have uh, formations before formations. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, we're having this company formation, so let's all get in formation and stand here. <laughs> So that we can have our formation, we're just going to stand here. Basically, I feel like that's what you just did. You're like, so before you pray, you should pray. Absolutely. So if you're going to come and pray, here's this prayer to pray before you pray. And maybe you should pray before you pray that prayer that you're going to pray. So maybe we should have like a formation before our formation before our formation. Well, the the thing is, is like you... One of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do, you know, if he if he's going to bring about this unity, if he's going to bring usher you into the the divine life in the prayer of Christ that he offers to the Father, if this is going to happen, you know, he doesn't do it without our will, and so you know that he he looks for and even inspires in us the dispositions to receive what he wants to to give us, but we have you know it's it's like you know that preparation. I just find that it's so easy to just kind of like you know kind of step into prayer, just kind of rattle through it, get it done. And it's like, man, like I, myself, I need to pray before I pray. <laughs> you know, it's like, I almost I, need this preparation, no, right. you know? We do. We need that moment. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many, whether it's, um, you know, your first few minutes of going for a run or like really like warming up for your run. Yeah. There's a real truth there. Yeah. You know, it's like, we need that warm up time of prayer of mm-hmm. if I'm going to do a holy hour, like maybe the first like 57 minutes of my holy hour, just kind of warming up for my three minutes. Yeah. You know, that preparation period is, is a part, an important and necessary part of that prep, that prayer. Well, Hey, that's the bell for me. Uh, it's time to wrap up and we have mid afternoon prayer. Uh, so why don't we bring this to a close? Sounds good. All right. In the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Amen. To the most holy and undivided Trinity, 
to the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ crucified, to the fruitful virginity of the most blessed and glorious Mary ever virgin, and to the whole company of the saints, be everlasting praise, honor, and glory by all creatures, and to us remission of all our sins, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're going to really pray the traditional ending and beginning prayers of the liturgy, you should do them in Latin. Oh, not there yet. <laughs> not, not there, there yet. yet. Next time. Eventually. Sorry, All right. Hey, thanks, Gabriel. <laughs> Later. Thank you for listening to Vox Sponsae, a podcast on the Liturgy of the Hours brought to you by the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours, the public and communal prayer of the Catholic Church. For more information, visit us online at liturgyofthehours.org.